I am super excited to be here today. I, we're going to continue to go through the book of Galatians, and as we kind of go through this book, if you'll just kind of recall who these people are, they are, the Church of Galatia is in modern-day Turkey. They are what we would call the Gauls. They are people who migrated down. They actually were a group of mercenaries, hired mercenaries by the Roman Empire. They came down from modern-day Ireland and Scotland, and they were hired mercenaries by the Roman Empire. And so they kind of stayed in that area. Well, the gospel has come to them. They found the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul's writing them. Because what's happening in the church of Galatia is that they've given their lives to Christ. And now you've got some what we call in the in the church world, we call them Judaizers. They, they come in and they say, well, you're believing this, but there's a whole set of laws and rules you're not following. You need to begin to follow all these rules and laws. And so they've thrown the whole church into confusion with all of these laws and regulations. So Paul writes to the church at Galatia and he says, guys, listen, you accepted Christ. You're free from that. And now you're free to go on and live for God in your, in your freedom, in the freedom of the Spirit, now that you've accepted Jesus. And you remember last week, Paul told them, he said, listen guys, the, the law was like your, the English word that we'll use is pedagogue. It actually comes from a Greek word. Pedagogue means, um, it's a whole bunch of things. It means trainer, teacher, uh, security guard, whatever, and if you remember what we talked about last week, that a family would hire a pedagogue to raise their child to the point of adulthood, right? And somewhere around the age of 13, you would have this ceremony for your child to enter into adulthood, and at the age of 13, your child's considered a full grown adult and they were treated like an adult by society they were expected to act like an adult they were sent out on their own around the age of 13 to be an adult now times have changed in the last 2,000 years but we get to chapter 4 we're going to pick up in verse 2 and he says here in chapter 4 verse 2 the heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father so also when we were under age We were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. So if we back up to verse 2, he tells them, he says in verse 2, the heir is subject to the guardians. That's, that's this pedagogue role in the family. That's, that's the role of this person that's supposed to be training the children to the day they have their ceremony to enter into adulthood. So the heir, the child is under this training. He says, Paul says, the law was that. In the Old Testament, the law was our trainer. The law showed us the direction we were supposed to go. The law showed us right from wrong. The Bible even tells us that the law came so that it might expose sin. 
so that we would say, oh, we're not in right standing with God. How do I get into right standing with God? And so all of that pointed to this one particular day. And in verse 3, he goes on. He says, so also when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. He says that prior to Christ, prior to all of this, we were under the influence of demonic forces, of forces that were contrary to the word of God. They were putting thoughts in our head. They were convincing us of things. They were telling us who we are and what we are. And, and oftentimes it sounds like your own voice in your head. And they're just convincing you of all of these things that aren't true. He says prior to this, you're, you're being influenced by forces that are not godly. But something happened. And I love what he says. He says that these spiritual forces were at work in us until we come to the point where we accept Christ. And then he says in verse 4, but when the set time had come. Now this is a huge word in the Greek. It's actually a naval term. It's a term used by the Navy, and it's a term to describe or paints a picture of a ship sitting in a harbor, and as that ship sits in the harbor, it get, begins to get full of cargo, right? Because what's a ship sitting in a harbor supposed to be, what's the plan? The plan is that it goes out, right, and it delivers its good or it brings its goods in. And so the ship is sitting in the harbor. This Greek word means, though, a ship that is sitting in the harbor, and it's full of cargo, it's full of passengers, and it's ready to go. That it's ready to move on. And so what Paul's telling his readers here in Galatia is he says, listen, you were in, this ship is sitting in a stage, it's sitting in the harbor. But unless it goes out, unless it does what it's supposed to do, it's pointless. The ship's not serving its purpose. And so Paul tells his readers, says, guys, you've received Christ. The ship is full. It, it's time to move out. It's time to go out and begin to tell people about Jesus. It's time to move on and get out of the harbor. It, it, you're in one stage of this. It's time to move on. But the problem is with us is that we get too used to the stage. We get used to sitting in the harbor. We get used to just sitting there in the harbor being full, and, and we get comfortable in our stage, and we transition from one stage to another stage, and we're like, okay, that transition was weird, but I can adjust to this stage. As long as I stay in this stage, I'll be okay. As long as I stay in this harbor, I'll be okay. I'll be safe. But a ship was never designed to sit in the harbor. No more than you were ever designed to sit in one stage in your life. God moves us from stage to stage to stage. The problem is, is we get used to sitting in the harbor. We don't want life to change. We want life just to stay the same but get better. Well, that, in, that, that requires change. Change is necessary to transition from one stage to another stage. And so Paul uses this naval term to the readers in Galatians. He's, guys, don't be the ship that's full of itself and just sits in the harbor. We wonder why God doesn't give us more revelation. We wonder why God doesn't speak to us. He's like, I'm still trying to get you to act on what I told you back in 2005. You haven't even acted on that. You're still sitting in that harbor. You've got to move on that. It's like a parent who tells their child to do something, the child doesn't do it, and the kid's like, well, where's, why can't we move on? You haven't done the last thing I told you to do. 
And we wonder why we get stuck in situations why God hasn't talked to us. It's because maybe we haven't acted and gotten our ship out of the harbor to do what God's called us to do. That he calls us to move on. He calls us in stages. And so he uses this naval term to say, guys, get the ship out of the harbor. Move on. It, it, it says that we are a ship full and ready to move. But we just want to sit. We just want to stay. And so he says again in verse 4, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption. That we might receive adoption. Now, this is a very interesting thing for us in our culture and in our time. Because when we think of adoption, what do we think of? We think of maybe a child in an orphanage or a child in another country, and we bring them into our family. Do we not? I mean, we think of adoption as the outside in, coming from the outside in. That's Western culture adoption. That's not adoption in this verse. The word adoption in their culture literally means, let's go back, because Paul's tying in chapter 3 and chapter 4. He's tying it in. He's saying that in chapter 3, you had the pedagogue, right? Remember we talked about the pedagogue and raise the kid up? Bring them to a point one day somewhere around the age of 13. The pedagogue would bring the child to the father. The father would test the child, be it male or female. He would test them to see if they're ready for adulthood. And if the pedagogue had done right all of those years, the father would reach down, and in those days, a child would wear a cloak. A child would wear a cloak to signify that, hey, I'm a child, I'm not an adult yet. And the father ceremoniously would remove the child's cloak and set it aside. And then he would go over and he would grab the adult cloak and put the adult cloak on the child to signify to all of society and all of the town that my child is now an adult and he's ready to move out and go. He's no longer sitting in his harbor. He's, he's full of everything he needs to do and to know. He knows what to do. He knows how to do it. And he's ready to go out and go into adulthood. And so the father would put this adult cloak on him. And so it's a symbol here. Paul uses this a term adoption to mean that you're not getting adopted from the outside in. The word adoption in this context literally means to be adopted into adulthood. It means my pedagogue has done everything. The law has shown us sin. The law has shown us right from wrong. And now Christ has come and it's time for us to mature into what God is calling us to do. It's time to get out of the harbor and go out and tell people about Jesus, to live our adult life. And so that when we are adopted as sons, even though I'm an adult, I'm still my father's son. Right? And even when my sons are full-blown adults legally at the age of 18, they will still be my sons. They will always be my sons. They will always have the right to my love and to my acceptance and to my pat on the back and and maybe my occasional look, like, you know better than that, come on, right? I mean, even at my age, I still get that from my dad sometimes, like, come on, man. I'm like, oh, sorry, dad, right? I mean, it, it's just, it's part of fatherhood. And so 
Paul uses this word adoption, and so to the Galatians, the first thought in their mind is not adopting from the outside in, but raising from the inside up and out. That God has called me as his son to go out. You know, when you accept Christ, when you choose to follow Jesus, the Bible says that your spirit immediately becomes as mature as it will ever be. Your spirit, man, on the inside of, inside of you, when you accept Christ, is as mature as it will ever get. Paul tells us in the book of Romans that we have to renew our mind, right? That we have to renew our mind through the word, that we have to read scripture, that we have to pray, because the natural way of thinking, the Bible says that the natural way of thinking is anti-God. It's natural to think opposite the way God thinks. And so Paul tells us we have to renew our mind. And then the Bible also tells us that when we go to heaven, that we get a brand new body. And so it, it tells me a few things. One, that when I accept Christ, my spirit is as mature as an adult as the spirit will ever be. The mind I have to work on and the body will eventually be fully mature in heaven one day. So in heaven, you can eat three boxes of Ho-Ho's and two boxes of Nutter Butters, and you don't have to worry about cholesterol, you don't have to worry about your weight, because it's heaven. Your body is in decay. Our bodies are, are going, I, I hate to tell you this, but scientifically, your body, the death process sets in around the age of 30. Aren't you excited? Your body literally stops growing somewhere in early 20s. You've got about 5, 10 years, and then somewhere around the age of 30, your body starts going, well... Here we go. And it's just a Isn't that exciting? Aren't you glad you came to church this morning? You're like, yes, thank you, Pastor. Right? And some of you are, you know, further down that hill, and others of us are, you know, not, it's not as, you know, up on that hill. But as, as Christians, as Christians, your spirit is whole. Your mind is the battlefield. The mind is where you find your identity. The mind is how you think. The mind is where you begin to form your habits. The mind is where you form relationships. The mind is where you either worry or have faith. The mind is where you either love or you hate. You either are courageous or fearful in the mind. And then it's acted out in the natural world. And so as adults, as adults, God says you are fully my child, you are fully in the spiritual realm, fully adulthood. But just like that child at 13 would shift into adulthood, he's still 13. He's got a long way to grow in his adulthood. He still has a long way to grow. We have a long way to grow spiritually. He would have a long way to grow in his adulthood. There's still a lot to learn, but he's still an adult. Just like when we give our life to Christ, we are fully in the kingdom of heaven, but there's still a lot to learn and to grow and to mature spiritually. But if we're going to grow and mature, then we have to be willing to get from one stage to the next. When my wife was pregnant with my sons each time, I, I, I don't know if you know this, but that's, those nine months, that, that's a stage. That's a stage. And then there comes a transition period. It's called delivery, right? And that stage and that transition is painful. Anybody in this room remember coming out of the birth canal? Let me see your hand. Anybody? No. All right, I don't believe you, Ozzy. Right? Like, 
You don't remember that. There, there are things in life that your, your, your mind's like, I don't know, right? Why? Because transition is tough. It's not the stage that's tough. It's the transition that's difficult. It's not the stage we fear. It's the transition that we fear. Because we can adapt to a stage, but adapting to the transition, that's difficult. Just let me sit in the harbor. Just let me stay in the womb. But then at some point, the child kind of nestles down right into the hip bones, and, and, and it's like, I'm tired of this stage, and I'm ready to transition out. And you know what happens when the child transitions out of the womb? It still looks like it's in the womb. <laughs> like, oh, it's, oh, look at the cute. No, it's not cute. It's messy and nasty, and you got to wipe it off and clean its nose out, right? And so anytime that you transition from one stage to another stage, in that transition moment, even when you get to that new stage where the baby's able to breathe on its own, it's, you're still going to have parts of the old stage left on you. And the problem with coming out of that transition is that you're looking at yourself going, I'm not any different. But you are different because you're not there anymore. Some of you need to praise and thank God that you're not there anymore. That you have transitioned out. And even though there's still some of the old stuff on you, it doesn't matter because God's moving you from here to there. You cannot be here and be there. God knows that. And so he begins to transition you. And it's not fun. And it's tough. And it's difficult. And at the same time, as we're transitioning from one point to the next, from one stage to another stage, God says in the book of Isaiah that he only moves us from glory to glory to glory. That he's only marching us heavenward. No matter how difficult and how tough it may seem, he's only marching us towards heaven to look more like Jesus. That's the end result. But at the same time that that's going on and that the birth and the transitions happening, you know what else is happening? Death. Death is in the corner going, I see you, I got you. Death's like, I'm ready, and so I'll be ready on this side. Why? Because death is a transition. Death is just a transition. One is entry into this world, one is just entry into another world. It's a transition period. It's not the stage that's the problem. We adjust to the stage and we get the old birth stuff off of us and we can change and we can adjust to the stage. It's the transition that we're afraid of and it's the transition that causes us to stay stuck in the stage. It's the transition that causes the ship to stay in the harbor. Oh, I don't know if I should go out to the ocean. It's a big, scary place, right? Like Nemo, don't go to the drop-off, right? Okay, whatever. Anyway, the point is, Right? We get scared of things, and we don't want to make that move. We don't want to make that transition. So we'd be better just to stay with where, well, it's not how I remember it, and it's not the way I like it, and so I'm just going to stay here. Fine. Die in your stage because everybody else is moving on. And the people that were with you in this stage will not stay with you in the next stage because they can't handle transition. And they are not ready for the transition. So they will stay in the harbor while you begin to experience and see God do things that you never thought were possible. And they'll wonder how you did it. And they'll wonder where God is. And they'll say, like, well, I don't understand. I can't get God to talk to me. It's because you're still sitting in the harbor. You're still sitting in mom's belly. And you're not ready to come out of the birth canal and go through the trouble and go through the trauma and go through the tragedy to get to the next stage. And there are too many people and too many churches sitting 
and what they've done 50 years ago and 60 years ago and 100 years ago, and they're not ready to transition, and they can't figure out why they're dying. The same is true in our life. I can't figure, I'm not getting any promotions at work. I ain't taking that certification. I ain't got time for that. Well, then you wonder why you're not getting promoted. Right? Your kids begin to adjust to different stages in their life, but you're still trying to parent them like they're two and three. And you wonder why you can't make the connection with them. You wonder why you can't develop that relationship with them. It's because you're still stuck with them being a toddler. We don't, want, we don't transition well. Yeah, God says, I'm a God of transition. I change things up, guys. I mean, how, just walk outside. How evident is it that he's a creative God? The season, I mean, we live in Indiana. Like, we have full, full, four, uh, four I can't even say that. <laughs> we have four seasons, and they're all a full four seasons, right? Now, I can go to Florida, and where my niece lives, and they have a season and a half right? Maybe. Like, but in Indiana, we should like be aware that there are transition moments. We live in it. We enjoy it. Each season has its benefit. Each season has its joy. Each se- I love winter. You know why I love winter? People tell me I'm weird. I love winter because I can get stuff done inside the house. I'm forced to stay in the house, and I can get stuff done in the house that should have been getting done all year long. Don't look at me like I'm the only one. You know that you enjoy that first hard snowfall, and you can't get out, and you're like, oh, man, I'm trapped in the house. I know we just got out of quarantine, and we're coming out of quarantine, and we're like, "Uh uh-uh, don't stick me in the house. But trust me, next February, that day will hit, and you'll be like, oh, man, it's kind of nice. It's kind of nice. I enjoy that, right? And so it's not so much the stages that are the problem, because the stages, we tend to settle in. And about the time we start to settle in, God goes, nope, it's time to transition. It's time to, time to change, time to move. In the, uh, in the late 40s, I'm going to close with this story. I think it's, it's so monumental with everything going on and what's happening in our society. But in 47 or 48-ish, the Brooklyn Dodgers were making their way into Atlanta. They were going in to play Atlanta, and at the time, there was a huge KKK rally going on in Atlanta. The bus pulls through, and it just so happens that this is Jackie Robinson's second year in the league. And as the bus pulls through, the police have to make a way for the team bus to get into the stadium. And the rally outside the stadium is not pretty. It's not good. It's not good at all. They're hurling insults at the bus and the players from Brooklyn. They're throwing things at the bus. It's a nasty, nasty scene. Because Jackie Robinson, the first African-American to break the color barrier in professional baseball. Well, the bus arrives, gets through the crowd. They go into the locker room. It's, it's a pretty down moment in the locker room before they play Atlanta. 
And in Carl Erskine's book, What I Learned from Jackie Robinson, he shares this story. And he says, we, we were down, but we didn't view Jackie any different. He was, just a, he was just another player on the team. He was just another one of the guys in the locker room. We, we didn't think anything about it. We were, we were in our locker room baseball bubble, and the outside world was cut off, and we were just all brothers getting ready to go out and play baseball. And the center fielder, and I'm going to botch his name up. I wrote it down so I'd remember it, but Gene Hermaski, I think is how you say it. Gene Hermaski was kind of the goofball of the team. He was the corny guy that you could always count on to make somebody laugh. In fact, in spring training that year, they had a spring training game, and the umpire called one of their players out. Well, Gene left center field and went up to the press box and grabbed the microphone and told the umpire he needed glasses and began to make fun of the umpire with the PA microphone and cracking jokes during spring training during that game. So this is just who Gene is. Carl Erskine says in his book that Gene finally just cracks and goes, guys, we're playing baseball today because we're all baseball players. So here's what we're going to do. We're all going to wear number 42 so that when we walk out there, those idiots won't know who to shoot. And Carl Erskine remembers thinking, okay, let's do that. And during warm-ups, as they're warming up, Gene was there warming up, you know, warming up his arm, and Jackie Robinson played third base, and Jackie was warming up with him. He goes, hey, Jackie, come over here and stand next to me. Maybe one of them will be a bad shot. You know, like, just making lighthearted fun because it was a transition moment for Major League Baseball. It's the transition moments that we don't like. It's the transition moments that are difficult. But if God is a good, good father like we sang about, and if God is a good, good father like we believe he is, then we have to trust that he's God in the transition just as much as he is God in the stage. And he's seen it all from the beginning. So let's stand up this morning as we close. And I want to encourage you that if you're in a stage, don't settle in the stage. If you're going through a transition moment, embrace the transition. Don't be the ship, as Paul told the church in Galatia, don't be the ship stuck in the harbor that's just full and sitting there. God's never designed us to be that way. Amen? Amen. Let's sing this out.